I'd like to turn our attention right now to our passage that we're going to be studying today with Pastor Curtis, and that is John 13. When Jesus had washed the disciples' feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to his disciples, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So before we start walking through this passage, I wanted to take a moment and just share a little bit from my heart. I want to be transparent. It definitely hurts inside to be speaking this morning to a camera and to a mostly empty room. Frankly, it hasn't gotten easier, and I'm not just talking about the awkwardness and the weirdness of it all, but what I'm talking about is the fact that you are not physically here, and I miss that, and the feeling of missing you only grows each week, but but at the same time, I also must tell you, it brings me more joy than I can express to know that you are making the time at the beginning of this week to listen to God's voice through his word. And I can tell you also that my feeling of gratitude for you watching this online service grows each week as well. And I'm so glad that this is possible. And I'm so glad for the people that are working hard to make this happen. These are... Uh, Words, I, I really don't know exactly how to label them, but these are at least, at least I would say, bittersweet times. And in all of it, I know that God is not only faithful, but God is good and he loves us. And he loves this church even more than we do. And he will keep us strong. I'm confident in that. And so I wanted to take a moment and share that. And then um, I'd like to pray and then we can dive into God's word together. So can we pray? Father, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus. And open our ears and help us to listen. Without the help of your spirit, we can do nothing. So we ask you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, we began a series called Spending Time with Jesus. We talked about how Jesus in the moments, in the moments just before he was betrayed and arrested and tried and crucified, just before those times, he, he spent time with his disciples. And we looked particularly last week in John 13 of how he washed the feet of his disciples. If you look at the fabric of this story, what is woven through the fabric of this story is love. That is the dominant theme. We talked about that last week. Jesus loves his disciples deeply, and we should tuck this deep away into our hearts as well, into the core of who we are, and we ought to know deep in our hearts this to be true, that Jesus loves us, and we should make sure we make a really important connection. 
And that connection is this. He didn't just love us enough to wash our feet. It's not just that he was willing to do the occasional dirty job that no one wants to do. It's more than that. More than that is going on in this passage. He loved us with the power and the ability and the force, not just to wash feet, but to wash our sins away. He loved us with the power to make us clean, to free us from the slavery we had to sin. He loves us with the power to make us righteous before God, to reconcile our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He loves us with the strength and the force and the ability to forgive us of all of our sins, to adopt us into his family, to make everything new in our life. That is the force of his love. When the disciples had clean feet because of Jesus, that would be more than a symbol of his humility. It was that, but it was more than that. He was pointing them, he was pointing them, he was pointing us to the deep reality that he alone can change our lives. And I would encourage you, even though, even though I may be a complete stranger to some of you who are watching, I would encourage you to consider the love that Jesus has for you. Consider the force of that love that can change your life. Consider what it would mean for you to take your first steps of faith. And if we can help in any way, please reach out to us. The scene, of the, the scene is one of the most well-known people in human history, serving his disciples. This scene is to be etched on our mind. Maybe that's why in a passage we read a moment ago, Jesus calls on the disciples to pause and reflect. Look at what he says in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Do you understand? Are you getting this? I mean, for Jesus, this is pretty to the point. He's being very direct. Hold up. Make sure you get this. Don't just kind of rock a stop here. Full stop. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Being loved by Jesus is going to mean some things. So what will it mean? What will it mean? He says in verse 13, you, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What Jesus is saying is that this attitude and these actions of service are a responsibility. A responsibility for his disciples. They're not, they're not an option. The language of verse 14 is ought to. You should do this. Serving each other should be happening. To put it in simple language so we all understand, a responsibility is something that you're expected to do. It's your job. It's not a luxury package of optional add-ons for the really nice people in the world or the, the people who are really trying hard to be good Christians. If you're following Jesus, this is expected of you. If Jesus is Lord, we don't have the right to disregard his authority. We don't get to pick and choose what responsibilities he gives us that we're willing to do. We don't get that choice. I grew up probably like most of you, where chores were a part of our regular family life. They were part of the responsibilities 
that I had for being part of the Hill family. So I didn't get to pick and choose based on what I thought would settle well with me or what I thought was beneath me. And because I was such a model child, I'm sure I never negotiated or tried to kind of get out of anything. I'm sure I always, in my family, always did the right thing. You can count on that. No, in, in most households, responsibilities are, are your job. It's expected. And if we're going to be an apprentice of Jesus, if we're going to buy into his teaching, if we're going to live our lives in a way that we are shaped by who he is and how he died and what his resurrection means, that means we should be picking up a towel. You call me teacher and Lord, Jesus says. And you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We have to hear what Jesus is saying. If I am a master and if I am a Lord and I am doing this, then no one is too great. No one is too much of a big shot to pick up the towel. No one can play a a VIP card and get out of it. Why did he say that? Why is he saying that to his disciples? We actually need it. He needed to point that out because Luke reminds us of the other dinner topics that were going on that night. Actually, did I say topics? I actually meant arguments. Do you remember the argument that the disciples were having? Who would be the greatest? Who would be the ones that would have the best seats in heaven? And Jesus had to remind them of something. You think of all, of all things that are out of place on that night, Jesus had to remind them. In verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. It's a pretty awesome thing to know we've been sent by Jesus. But hear this. He actually turns that upside down and says, if you are a follower of mine and you seem to be the most powerful person in the room, the one who is most in charge, the one who's most influential, or maybe the most educated, then you are the person who picks up the towel first. No excuses, no cop-outs, no power plays. This really isn't kitty stuff, is it? I can remember a while back, oh man, this had to be a couple decades ago, I was teaching kids and part of the children's curriculum was a story and it was trying to simplify things. And I can appreciate a part of that intent to simplify things. But in the end, this, this passage amounted to kind of the, the, the main thrust was Jesus is nice to his friends. And I think about that. And again, I appreciate what was trying to be accomplished there, but we need to know the full story. Because the scene on that night is pretty grim If you need help reminding you of how grim this is, read John 13. Read again and again. Judas comes up again and again. His betrayal comes up again and again and again on this dark night. And we know the other gospels speak clearly about not just Judas's betrayal, but Peter's denial. I mean, things are not good. The Bible, the Bible unfolds. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. The Bible unfolds in a world where people feel vulnerable, where, where times can get hard, where we're not sure what a day may hold. 
The Bible unfolds in a world where the powers of sin are present. And there's a threat that we might lose our faith, not believing in the truth, but being persuaded by lies and fears. We know the world of the Bible because we still live in it. We still live in that same world. And Jesus is speaking about how things go down in desperate times. And, and we know what our inclinations are, how, to re, how we react in desperate times. When the times are survival, we just quickly flip into a mode, every person for themselves. Who has time to care about anybody else? Who has bandwidth for another person's problems? Who has bandwidth for another person's anxieties? If ever there was a time to play the card of who has time for that, this would be the time to play it. But notice what's going on here. Maybe even in the midst of the chaos of the last few weeks, you've been tempted to kind of let creep into your heart. I don't have time for anybody else. I've got to to make sure I'm okay. Jesus says, even in the midst of your vulnerability, you have a responsibility. But that responsibility also is coupled with an example. An example that you simply can't ignore. So the language is one of responsibility, but it's also of example. Notice Jesus doesn't tell us what we were responsible for. He also shows us how we're supposed to live this out. It's not just that you need to do something But here's how, here's what that looks like in verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Examples are so helpful, aren't they? They're they're so helpful. They help us visualize what is required of us. They help us replicate something that maybe has a few steps and we wouldn't know how to do it unless someone said, here's how you do it. I think of a, a physical therapist who shows you how to do an exercise so that you know how to do that so that your body may heal. I think of a, a teacher that does an example problem on the board or now on the screen so it helps you know exactly what you need to do and how you need to do it. I think of, of something online that gives you a picture of an example of something you can do. If you see this, then you might be able to do something that otherwise you thought was hard or impossible. Examples help. So Jesus gives us an example. He says, just as I've done this, so should you. So what had he done for them? What example was he giving? Well, I I like to think of it in this way. It was a small, real-world task that is driven by love and care for the benefit of another. It's like this small, real-world task He says, just as I've done that, that's driven by love and care for the benefit of another. And in this case, frankly, it's something that others might look at, or maybe you even think of yourself as beneath you. You shouldn't have to do that. I remember Peter, he's uncomfortable with this whole situation. He thought this was totally out of line. Jesus, like, you're never going to wash my feet. So this task may even be, by everybody's perception, beneath you. And some servant should have done this for you. So we have an example, and I want us to get into what some of those like real-world examples might look like today. But let's drill down there in just a minute. But I want to pair this idea of an example quickly, quickly with something else. Because I think we have to. This responsibility and this example is so closely attached to the motivation of Jesus to Jesus' motivation. So yes, we have an example, 
But in the midst of the responsibility and the example, we also have to remember the motivation that stems from love. It's so critical that we go here. Jesus didn't just lay a responsibility on us. He didn't just do something and go, now it's your turn. He cared and he always has cared about our hearts in this and what's motivating, what's driving us. Remember that it's because of the love that God had for us that this even happened in the first place. God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son. Remember, too, that this is the chapter where John, John 13 is the chapter that is introduced by the love that Jesus has for his disciples and how he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. So the idea underlying all of this responsibility and example is that our motivation also ought to be like Jesus. It ought to be driven by love. It's not, it's not just that we do things out of duty. Because Jesus said so, and then we have to do it. And he gave us an example, and we have to do it. Don't get me wrong. He's God. We're not. It'd be enough if he told us to do it. We would have to say, yes, Lord, you're the master. But that isn't the message of grace that comes flowing out of the big story of God's word. Where the, the central character of this big story of God's word is that the Father loves. He's made himself known as the God who loves. And the, the Son loves. And the Spirit applies that love to our heart. Look at it again. He says in verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And we could easily add out of love. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them out of love. You need to do them, but the motivation counts. The dots are really connected in verses 34 and verse 35 that Evan read a moment ago. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We ought to just take a step back. Let ourselves be overwhelmed by what's going on. Jesus fully expects his love for his disciples, for you, to be so deeply appreciated and experienced that it becomes internalized in your life. So it becomes part of your identity. So I don't know how, what the markers of your identity would be. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Would it be, I'm a, a male, I'm a U.S. citizen, I am Caucasian, I am living in the Mid-Atlantic, specifically Delaware, specifically Newcastle County. But above all this, you have an overarching identity, and that is, I am loved by God. And this internalized love then becomes externalized. We follow Jesus, and his love had an object. And what does Jesus mean for us to do with this? Like, I've washed your feet, now you go wash others. You're blessed if you do this. What will feet washing look like when we are following the example and we are motivated by love? So a few times in my life, I've been part of some sort of foot washing. And my main impression was that it felt really, really odd. Because that's definitely something in our culture that is really, really different. But it isn't a hard step to go from what Jesus did to the actual point he was making. So let's, let's take that step because, because there will be small, 
real-world tasks that are laid before us, that are going to be driven by love and care for the benefit of others. And frankly, you might think those are beneath you, or others might say, you shouldn't have to do that. But you are going to do those out of love. That is what it means to pick up the towel. There are many ways we could go. I think this is something that I really want to challenge you this week, maybe this afternoon, or, or even going forward throughout the week. What does a dirty towel look like in my life? What does it look like to pick up that towel? So let, let, me, let me think through some of that with you this morning. Only hypothetically speaking, let's say there is an argument or conflict with a family living in close quarters. Let's just suggest that may happen where there's an argument, disagreement. Let's also suggest where, I don't know, you're 85% in the right. And maybe 15% in the wrong because no one's perfect, but pretty much you're in the right. What would picking up a towel look like? Maybe it looks like moving toward reconciliation by owning every bit of that 15% and maybe more in case you undershot it. It would look like working hard because you love someone more than you just love being right and working for harmony and agreement and reconciliation. You walk away with the dirty towel because love has done its work. Or maybe it looks like showing respect when you prefer, frankly, to roll your eyes and go, really? but you show respect. Or maybe it looks like listening in love, letting someone vent their cares to you and not just shutting them down of like, you think you got it bad, let me tell you what. But you listen and you love and you've got a dirty towel. Or maybe it looks like serving people around you even though they don't know it, even though they don't recognize it. Or maybe for many of you, it looks like bath time and bedtime and now school time and now Playtime and cleanup time. And you stay in it because you love. I wonder if God could open our eyes to something. And that is when we pick up a towel because of love, we can be reminded of something. Make this connection, church. Make this connection where you think, you know what, I might be showing love right now, but Jesus loves me in deeper ways, even than this. He served me in greater ways than this. And even in you showing love, there's a window for you to enjoy more of Jesus' love for you. I'm not saying he loves you more. What I'm saying is that you can see it in a clearer way when you have a dirty towel in your hand. I wonder if middle schoolers and high schoolers and college students, I wonder as you're watching, what if you remember the dirty towel in Jesus' hand? And that did something in your heart. What if one time this week you asked, how can I help? I've got an hour. Before you do that, please make sure someone in the house has like ability in CPR because everybody else will go, what just happened? And there may be some physical difficulties as a result of that. But if you really are, I mean, if you're a middle schooler and you're high schooler, if you're a college student and you really are a follower of Jesus and you aren't just going through the motions, doesn't what he said apply to you? And in that moment, you'll be showing not just that you can grin and bear it and do your chores, not just that you can put in some volunteer hours, you'll be saying that you even begin to appreciate that Jesus' love for you showed up in actions and your love for others will show up in actions. You see, the fact that Jesus has loved us so deeply drives us, and think about this, what does it do for someone when they know they're loved? 
when they know their love deeply. There's something about this that I, you, frankly, you don't even have to be a Christian to appreciate what it does for someone when they know they're loved. When you have a friend who has seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, a friend that definitely has no problem calling you out, but will always be there. And you know that person's in my corner. What does that do for you? What does it do for you when you have a spouse who is patient with your anxieties, your insecurities? What does it do for you when you have parents who extend grace and love repeatedly? Speak words of affirmation to you. What does it do for you when you are loved? Do we even throw foster parents and adopted parents into the mix? What does that mean when you know you are loved? And that love shows up in actions. What does it mean when you have a grandparent? By the way, our church is filled with grandparents who love and care and sacrifice. And sometimes they do the hard work of a dual role, parent and grandparent, because they love kids. What does it do when you have an aunt and an uncle that communicate, you matter to me and I know God has a plan for you. What what does it do for you when you have a teacher that loves a student dearly and wills them to succeed? What does it do for us when we know that a coach believes in us and brings out the best in us? What does it mean? I can tell you what it means as a a young intern, as a young pastor, when when I had people in ministry believe in me and love me deeply and sacrifice for me. What were results from someone Loving another person is is often you get confidence that otherwise you wouldn't have. When someone deeply loves you, despite your flaws, you're nourished with love and support. And this story can remind us. You have been loved that way. You are enabled now to show that love. You've been loved by Jesus that way. We've heard the stories of the way someone has drawn strength from love. Well, we know what it's like to be loved. And even beyond that, I, I was thinking about this as well. Being, being someone who originates an act of love puts us in touch what, with what originating love looks like. But frankly, we don't originate love. We were loved first. And if out of my imperfect, flawed love, I can do this, I can show love to others, how much more must I be loved? We've been loved deeply and we can extend love to others even when it means we walk away from it with a dirty towel. As we, as we close, can we go back to the words of Jesus in John 13, 34? He said this, he said, I'm gonna give you a new commandment that you love one another. And I'm not sure we attach these words, right? I'm not sure we attach the word love and command and kind of put those together. But Jesus does and he says, I really love you and I really want what's best for you And he doesn't need to speak of his track record or even future guarantees. Love doesn't have to. Perfect love surely doesn't have to. He says, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you what to do. And the environment is one of deep trust. He says, do this. And a life that is full will follow it. So church, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that God has just deeply pressed his words into our hearts so that we, we know these things. But if we know these things, we are more blessed. If we actually do them, if we actually put them into practice. We say that that will be very hard. Well, yes. But we can do all things through Jesus who gives us 
the strength. I'm going to ask the the band to come, and they're going to close our time here together. At the beginning of this service, I ask you, I ask you to keep your heart soft toward things of the Lord, what the Lord might be saying to you. And I think there's a song that reflects that really well. It's actually a song that's a prayer. I think it's the perfect way to end this time in John 13. It says, here's my heart, Lord. Keep speaking. Keep speaking. Keep speaking this afternoon. Keep speaking this week. Keep humbling. Keep doing a deep work in my life. Because I know I've been loved by you. So how do I need to extend that love to others? Here's my heart, Lord.